Yes, amen. Miriam and the band does a great job. Amen. Yeah, fantastic job. Yes. Yeah. Well, good morning, church. So I hope, it is my sincere hope and prayer that everyone in this room is a dreamer. And here's why. I have it on my business card because those who dream do the most. Amen? Amen. Absolutely. Have you had any dream lately in your life that was so big and so bold and so outrageous and so crazy that if God doesn't show up, it's not going to happen? And if you don't have room for God in your dreams, you need to make room. Amen? Amen. I want to take you to a place. It's a place maybe you've been. It's a special place in Nevada. I don't know if you've been to Vegas. I know you're not supposed to talk about it. Okay. But there's a desert alley in Nevada called Death Valley. Anyone been there? Anyone been there? If you've been there and you're online, you can type in Death Valley. Now, Death Valley is one of the most barren places in the entire world. It is way too hot and way too dry for anything to grow. We've got some pictures. It is desert. It is dust. It is dirt. It is no plants, no trees, no life, nothing. Now, something happened, though, in March of 2005. There was a weather pattern that happened that never happens there. Storm clouds rolled in, and several inches of rain fell all at once. And as a result, I want to show you what happened. The whole desert was turned into this amazing, beautiful, colorful garden. Death Valley had turned into Flower Valley, okay? And the wasteland had turned into a beautiful garden, amen? And what happened is people came from, scientists came from all over the world to study how did this happen? They were curious, and of course, it's not that hard to figure out. There were seeds in the ground that had been there for years and years and years, and there were seeds in the ground that were waiting for the right time and the right conditions to start to grow and to unleash their full potential. Does anyone want to guess where this sermon's going today? (laughs) What's inside of you? God has placed seeds inside your hearts, inside your lives, inside of your families. God has placed seeds within them, and they have 2021 and 2022 written all over them. Now, maybe, maybe the evil ones try to give you a hard time, and he has created, and I know this is true, sometimes we have some death valleys in areas of our lives, do we not? Right? In your marriage, in your partnership, in your relationship at your work, at jobs, or in the church, or 19 months of a worldwide pandemic. Uh, COVID felt like Death Valley to me. Hello? Just me? You know, and it's a place where you get to where you like feel like nothing can grow, nothing can live, it's just barren, it's wasteland, and just wasted. And I want to say to you that God is a God who always brings, and I believe this, is bringing healing rain our way, healing rain into your life. Uh, And there's a rain. So whatever Death Valley you've been in, and you can be in Death Valley for a lot of years, but I do believe that your Death Valley can be turned into a beautiful garden. So that's supposed to be a good thing that you get excited about. So we can give God praise in church, all right? (laughs) I 
we're still training you all, you know. It's like, come on, come on, friends. We're allowed to make noise and interact. It's okay, okay, really. Uh, anyhow, um, God is always in the business of turning Death Valley into beautiful gardens and graves into gardens, as we just had Miriam and the band sing. And we see this all throughout Scripture. And I've shared this with you before, but it's such a great example. If I take you to Genesis 17, God comes to a man named Abram. And he says to him, and now Abram was in a death valley. He's married to Sarai, uh, or you know her as Sarah, but before her name was changed, it was Sarai, and they wanted to have children. Now, in biblical times, women were defined on not whether you were a realtor or you worked at the university or, or whatever. Women were defined by how many kids did you have? So to be barren was to be in death valley, and she was barren. They had no children. So they're in Death Valley. And God has some very strange and specific words for Abraham. He says in Genesis 17, 45, this is my covenant. As for me, God says to Abraham, this is my covenant. You will be a father. Everybody say, you'll be a father. Of many nations, not like one family, but of many nations. No longer are you going to be called Abram. Your name will now be called Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. Everybody say, I have made you. I have made you. See, God can make you into something you are not. When God said this to Abraham, he was in Death Valley. There were no storm clouds. There was nothing on the radar coming in on the Weather Channel app. In fact, Scripture uses the word dead when referring to Abram. Now, recently, I just went and got a, a little physical, and they, they do your little blood, and they tell you how you're doing on your cholesterol, whether you're taking enough fish oils and all that stuff, you know? And then they took my blood pressure, and then they, get you, then they ask you the most insulting question of all, can you get on the scale? No, I don't want to. <laughs> just get on there. I don't want to. But they do, they do do this. I love this. The nurse says, what's it say? Oh, you're not looking? Okay, I'll just take off a few pounds. So, you know, they go through the whole thing, and then they give you your report, you know, and you know, okay, this is, you know, something you need to work on, blah, 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 you know. But I have never been to a physical where the doctor comes back and says, well, good as dead. <laughs> yeah, you're just pretty much dead. Blood pressure's high, you're, you're a heart attack, you're a bag of Cheetos away from a heart attack, Really? I mean, they never say that, right? You're as good as dead. You know, just roll you into the grave. But that's what Scripture says Abram. Abram was so old, so old, and so was Sarah. And he says, you're going to not only become a father, you're not going to have a miracle child, you're going to be a father of many nations. God's going to send some rain. See, my friends, God can make you everything that God has already made you. He knew Abram would become a father, He'd become Abraham because he had placed seeds of faith within him. Now, I'm going to tell you something, and I want you to hear this. Are you still with me? Amen? Amen. If you're at home listening, just type in amen, because I want you to know you're with me. There's an amazing passage in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. And if you believe Scripture like you believe in gravity, like I believe in gravity, if you believe Scripture like I believe in gravity, it says in Ephesians 1, verse 4, that God planned for you to be here, that you're not an accident, that God actually planned you, that's you, all of you, 
before the beginning of time, before the foundation of the earth. Your essence was planned out by God before God even said, let there be light. God thought of you. God placed things within you. The whole root of your life, every single dream, every single seed was already planned out. And then he knit you together in your mother's secret place or the womb, as Psalm 139 talks about. This is an amazing sort of thing to think about and believe that, wait a minute, I'm not just an accident, right? Your mom may have told you that, (laughs) but it's just not true. My mom told me that. I'm not lying. Swear to God. This is what my mom said. Well, you know, I thought I had my diaphragm in, and then I opened up my drawer, and there it was, and I went, oh, I bet I'm pregnant. And sure enough, there you came along, John. (laughs) I said, Mom, the Lord planned me out. Psalm 139, and as God planned you out, he placed seeds inside your heart, seeds that would come alive in due time, in the right time with the rain from the Holy Spirit. So now is the right time. Now is the season. When God looks at you, right, when God looks at you, God sees what he's placed inside of you. God sees the potential you. When Jesus walked the earth, this is why Jesus never rejected anybody. Because there might, be, there might be a prostitute, there might be a tax collector up in a tree, Zacchaeus. When Jesus looked at Zacchaeus, all anyone else could see was corrupt tax collector, short little dude that takes all my money. Jesus is like, I see a person that can change the world. I see a person that's going to get right. I see a person that's going to give back what he's taken. I see Zacchaeus because I made him and thought of him before the beginning of time. So hear me, church. You are God's handiwork, and you can always become everything that God has already made you. Now, are you still with me? This is really, really important because I grew up with realistic parents. Some of you did not. Some of your parents lied to you. They said things like this. You can be anything you want to be. I've heard this all my life. Oh, come on, John, you can be anything you want to be. Just try, try again. If at first you don't succeed, try again. All my life I've been trying to play NBA basketball. (laughs) 5'11", white guy. I'm not doing too well at it. Pretty sure I can't be an NBA basketball player. I'm 5'11". I wanted to be 7'1". Can you imagine how great this church would be if I was seven foot tall? You would believe everything I say. I'd like to be the quarterback for the Pittsburgh Steelers. I know you'd prefer the Cowboys. I don't. Amen. Amen. (laughs) The best amen I've gotten all year on that one, yeah. I'm 51. I don't have NFL talent. I can't play quarterback for the Pittsburgh Steelers. I can't even be their chaplain. How do I know? I wrote them a letter. (laughs) I'm not even lying. I'm like, why not? Send an email to the Rooney family. They sent me a letter back. I thought it'd be a great gig. You hang out with the team, say a few prayers before a critical play. You get a fly around the country. You're the team chaplain. What a gig. You know what they said? We're Catholic. 
I can't, I can't become Catholic for that. As much as I love the Steelers, it's just not going to work. The wife and kids would be a hard sell for them, you know, so. I can't be any, you know, people that say, oh, you can be anything you want to be. No, no. I can't be Jeff Bezos. I don't even own any Amazon stock. It's $3,500 a share now. And you know, I'm like, dang, I should have bought it back when it was a dollar. One time it was a dollar a share. Can you imagine? I think I'll buy 100 shares of that. I can't be Elon Musk. I don't have their business or, or smart acumen. I can't even be the world's greatest pastor. I've tried. You know I have. I can't even be Joel Osteen. Besides, he's short. I met him at Disney. I was sitting right next to him at Disney. I saw this short little guy with curly hair in the back. I turned around, Joel Osteen. We stood in line at Disney for an hour. He's like, I never meet pastors. I'm like, oh, really? I am one. We had a great conversation. People say you can be anything you want to be wrong. Some people think they can be anything, and they can't. Don't believe me? If you don't believe me, just go watch America's Got Talent. <laughs> watch The Voice. Or, or watch American Idol, even better. I, I, I liked American Idol when Simon was, when Simon was a judge. Because he would do like this. What the bloody hell was that? <laughs> and then he would ask this question. Did your friends tell you you could sing? Did your friends tell you you could sing? And they'd be like, yeah, uh-huh. So did my mom. They lied. <laughs> you can't say, you can't hold a note. I'm not going to be America's next idol, even if I want to be. I'm just not going to make I wouldn't even make it through the first round. You know, the round where they show you you're so stupid, they put you on in front of everyone. You, know? you cannot be anything, my friend, but you can be everything that God's already made you. You can be everything that God wanted you to become when God thought of you and made you before the beginning of time. Everything he's called you to be. And it's pretty glorious. It's pretty amazing if you want to be that. Anything that connects you with the seeds already placed in your heart, you can be. God calls you to have a holy life. You can be a holy person. He's called you to be more than a conqueror, so you can be a conqueror. Not because of your own strength, not because of your own personality, but because of the seeds planted within you, because you are God's handiwork. I can't be Joel Osteen. I can't be the next quarterback for the Pittsburgh Steelers, but I can be Pastor John. Some of you are looking at yourself right now going, Pastor, I don't know about my ground. It feels like Death Valley. It isn't looking too fertile. It might temporarily look like Death Valley. Your life might look like that. But the Holy Spirit can change things. God's Spirit can move in your life. Amen? Absolutely. We have to believe that. You take someone like Gideon. You can see all these examples in the Scripture where God took someone who thought they never could be something and they were something. Look at Judges chapter 6, Gideon. Gideon is a, a, a skinny little, you know, kid who, you know, gets sand kicked in his face at the beach. He's a, basically a nerd. He's a wimp. And God comes to him and says, Gideon, you're going to become a mighty warrior. And he's like, who, me? 
I'm a farmer. And God says, you're going to be, you're going to be. And Abram comes to Abraham. You're, you're going to be a father for I have made you a father. You can be anything God wants you to be. Before the foundation of the world, God placed seeds within you. Now, some of you are in Death Valley right now. So I want to ask a very important question. Are you with me? Yes? Okay, if God has made you and thought of you before the foundation of the world and God placed seeds in your life, and even if you're in Death Valley right now, and God is the one who sends the rain and has the right conditions for your seeds to bloom, what are we supposed to do? What's our role in the equation? That's a good question, right? We need to make sure, first of all, that our heart is good ground. Jesus talked about this all the time. What kind of heart is your ground? Is it got a lot of weeds in it? Is it got a lot of rocks in it? What kind of heart? And here's the important thing. It's interesting. If you look at the word heart in Scripture, in the Hebrew and Greek, the word for the human heart is the second most used word in the Bible next to the word Lord. That's pretty amazing, is it not? That tells you how important your heart is to keep it pure, to keep it ready for God, to keep it ready for those seeds to bloom, that we have to keep our hearts clean. Amen? Not only because just because God wants us to, but because your heart becomes the breeding grounds for those seeds to bloom for your future. And if we keep them pure, if we keep them ready for God's reign, there's no death valley that can stop those seeds from blooming. Now, I want to share with you two attitudes of the heart that I think is really, really important in order for those seeds to grow. The first attitude the Bible speaks about when it talks about your heart, it's absolutely vital, and it's what it always talks about your heart, and that is a humble heart. Humble heart. Everybody say humble heart. God's seeds will only grow in a humble heart. And every time there's a list of stuff in the Bible that God hates, the number one thing God hates, pride. 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 It is the, the character defect that holds all the other defects, right? Pride. Because pride will abort the seeds in your heart. Pride will take away the power of growth so that plans and purposes and dreams for your life and your future will not come to pass. Because what, what always comes before the fall? Pride. God hates pride. James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud but only shows favor to the humble. And this is why God, have you ever noticed that whenever you're feeling proud, that God always sends something in your life to humble you? Is it just me? There's all kinds of ways God will humble you. One of the first ways that God uses to humble me is actually reading Scripture. I have two apps on my phone, the First 15, which is a great app for you to read, and then I have version, which is another uh, biblical version that comes from Lifeway Church with Craig Goschel. It's, it's great stuff. And these are great apps to have on your phone. And I have this app on my phone, and so I open them up. I like to open up because I know the first thing you do in your mornings, you reach for your phone, and the last thing you do at night. So go ahead and, and look at God's Word on your phone. So 
U version, I open it up, and, I, and sometimes I'm like, okay, God, I need a soothing word. God, I need an encouraging word. God, I need something to speak to my heart, something to, in my life. And I was feeling <laughs> this particular day, I was feeling a little proud of things I had done. I was feeling a little haughty. I was feeling a little righteous in the marriage. Have you ever felt that way? No, just me, right? And this is what comes up. This is the scripture that the Lord chose for me. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. I'm in trouble already. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. I'm in continuing in trouble. Not looking at your own interest. I'm in deeper trouble. But each of you to the interest of others. Have you ever had God's word come up and just slap you in the face? It will slap you in the face. The truth will set you free, but first it will insult you. So God uses God's word to humble us. That's part of the importance of coming to worship. Because who do we worship? Not ourselves. We worship God. We worship the one who made us. But God also uses his spirit to humble us, right? You get a little nudge from the Holy Spirit. Hey, you need to say you're sorry. You need to say, you know, you need to check things out with a person. I did that today. I just want to check things out. Because here's what I'm really good at, and maybe some of you know this. I'm really good at offending you, and I don't even know I've offended you. Right? Renee's always saying, I think you probably offended him. I'm like, you think? Nah. She's like, yeah, you probably should say you're sorry. I'm like, okay. I used to say no. I just say okay now. So if I've offended you, I am sorry. Seriously. Because I'm really good at that one of my many talents. So the Holy Spirit will nudge me and say, you need to say, you're sorry, you need to get humble. The, the, most, <laughs> the most prevalent thing in my life, the thing that really humbles me is someone that I've known for over 30 years, counting dating, and I do count it, and that's my bride, baby doll, that's my wife, Renee. And trust me, I love her more than anything, but trust me, she's the one that humbles me more than any of y'all could. Anyone else find that your spouse or your significant other or partner is the main humble in your life? Anyone? Go ahead. Raise your hand. It's okay. And here's the thing about this. Sometimes in our culture, our culture teaches what? If the romantic comedies teach you this, they teach you, hey, marriage or finding the right partner is so that you will live happily Cinderella, Snow White, they're both comatose when they fall in love. It's a weird thing. <laughs> Think about that. You go kiss a comatose woman, you're going to get in trouble today, okay? That's not a good thing. Snow White was kissed while she was asleep, poisoned. It's a weird thing. <laughs> marriage exists to make you happy. According to the Bible, marriage does not exist to make you happy. It exists to make you like Jesus. It exists to sand off difficult edges for you to be used by God, to be used more and more to become the kind of person that God longs for you to be. Right? Now, singleness can also be used by God in this way as well, or your partner or whatever. We all need this because I'm going to tell you a little secret. If you're in this room and you're married, you have a significant other, you have a partner, the most important thing for you to know about that person that you're with, I'm going to tell you something about the person that you're with, is that you have committed yourself, you are married to a sinner. 
Just turn to the person right now and give them a little nod. Go ahead. I see that happening right here in the front row. You don't have to comment on it. Just give them a nod. Now, the other thing you need to know is if you're married, the person you married, (laughs) they married a sinner as well. You can turn to the person and give them a little wink now. Yeah, there you go. Paul actually talks about this in the church in Colossians. He actually says, when Christ, he's talking about how your real life's going to show up. When Christ shows up again, right, when he comes back, you'll show up too, the real you, the glorious you. Because, look, I'm a Gemini, and Gemini, you know, when you get into astrology, and I'm not really condoning that or saying that, but there's twins, right? There's the, there's the evil John and good John. But that's not just true for Geminis, that's true for you too, right? What Paul is saying is he's using sort of Jungian psychology. Paul's actually saying within each of you, there are two yous. And you know it. There's There's the sinful, flawed you, messed up you, junked up you, immature you. But then there's also this glorious you. There's the, there's the you that God intended you to be, and, the, and one day that you're going to be when all that sin and junk and all that stuff is left behind, and God's placed the seeds of greatness within it. There's a glorious you, but then there's also you. Now, when you fall in love, part of what happens is you get a little glimpse of the glorious you that's in that other person. You see it. You're like, oh my gosh, they're glorious, right? The sky is a bit bluer. The sun's a bit brighter. The birds are chirping. They're landing on your shoulder, right? You're in love. Oh, I'm in love. Oh, oh. I can't believe it. Is it just me? I'm the only one that felt that way. But that's why falling in love is kind of a gift of grace. You can't really control it, right? You're catching a glimpse of the gloriousness that God has placed in that other person. You fall in love with them, and then you get married to them. Now, when you marry them, who are you married to? The glorious you or the sinful you? Well, when you're married, the current sinful them is the one that usually shows up really good. See, when you're married, when you're in a committed relationship, when you have a partner, right, You get so close to the other person that sometimes you see the sin and junked upness in their life. And my wife is really good at pointing out, there it is, you need to work on that. And that is humbling. Again, the Bible is really clear about this. The Bible says, man, you should really pay attention to who you commit yourself to. Be really careful who you're choosing to marry. There is one such verse. There's a lot of verses. I could have chosen from 30 verses, but I'm going to just choose one, and we're going to read it all together because this is the Bible's version of what it's like to be married. Are you ready? Here we go. Let's read it together. A nagging spouse is like the drip, drip, drip of a leaky faucet. You can't turn it off, and you can't get away from it. Welcome to marriage. This is why I don't do marriage enrichment workshops.
I go see a dermatologist here in, in town, Dr. Fagan. I hate going to see the dermatologist. I go see him every four months because I like the sun and the sun doesn't like me and I've already had skin cancer on my back removed. I've had skin cancer on my face. I get things burned off. It's like, it's like what's going to get burned off this time? You know, that's pretty much what it is. And I go there and I hate it because they always have the nurse who's always like some 25-year-old gorgeous girl. And she's always like, um, the doctor's coming in and go ahead and get ready. You'll strip down to your underwear. I'm like, in front of you? Really? Do I have to? Is this just me that feels this way? Well, I'm here for the doctor's protection. Oh, trust me, he'll be protected. <laughs> Ain't nothing going to happen with me and Dr. Fagan. Trust me, all right? <laughs> I'm here for the doctor's protection. Anyhow, so there we are, naked. I am anyway. And he comes in, and he's looking me over. Okay, turn around. It's really awkward. And, and then sometimes he'll get out a magnifying glass. Have you ever had anybody put a magnifying glass on you? It feels a bit awkward. And this is what he does. Hmm. Hmm. Mm-hmm. see the other time. Mm-hmm. It got so bad the other time I was like, if you say one more hmm, I'm going to choke you. Hmm, hmm, hmm. I can't even count the hmms after a while. I don't like going to the dermatologist. I don't like doing that. And the reason I don't like that is because he gets to see stuff I don't want him to see. And this is marriage. This is getting close to someone. It is standing there naked and saying, here I am. All my sinfulness, all my messed upness, all my junk, everything you get to see that I try to hide. I spend a lifetime putting clothes on and ties and, and pants and trying to hide it from everybody, but you get to see. And I'm not talking about physical imperfections. And this is the human condition. This is getting close to people. Am, am I making sense? Yeah. And it's not always glorious. There's an old Noor detective writer, Raman Chandler, and he has a line that I absolutely love in one of his books. And he's a hard-boiled detective. And he sees a blonde, a seemingly beautiful blonde. And he says, from 30 feet away, she looked like a lot of class. And then he says, from 10 feet away, she looked like something made up to be seen from 30 feet away. I love that because that's all of us. I'm made to be seen from 30 feet away. See, here's what I'm saying. Marriage is a great flaw detector. See, marriage doesn't create flaws. It exposes them. It reveals them. Getting married to me is like a lot like going to the dermatologist. I've committed myself to this person, and they're committed to me. But guess what? If I really show them who I am, and I can't hide it, because I'm like a dripping faucet. You can't get away from it. Here it is. And I can hear Renee. Hmm. 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 Because <laughs> at times, my unglorious you is I'm anxious and I'm greedy and I'm opinionated. I talk too much, you know that. 
I clam up. I appreciate you not saying amen. I resent. I'm good at judgment. I want to be the center of attention. And those are, that was really easy for me to put together. And you see that in me even when I can't see it. Because you're closer to me and I can't hide it sometimes. And like a leaky faucet, you can't turn it off. And this is the condition of human race. There's a current sinful me, but there's also this glorious me, right? And sometimes Death Valley hides that. And the task of marriage is not primarily make me happy. It is to help God in the process of turning current sinful me into the glorious me. And the job of marriage is to make sure my heart is good soil for God's seed to bloom. It's glorious, but it ain't easy, right? Marriage is gloriously humbling. And anyone that's been married any length of time over 10 years knows what I'm talking about. If you're seven years, yeah, whatever, we don't care. Eh, that's too, way too young. There was a story about a newly elected senator who went to Washington, D.C., and he went to visit the home of one of the old ranking senators in D.C. And he stood on the senator's lawn and it overlooked the, the Potomac River there in Washington, D.C. And there was an old deteriorated log floating down the Potomac. And the old senator said to the young senator, he said, you know, this city is a lot like that old log floating down the river there. And the young senator said, how so? And he said, well, I suppose in that log there are about 100,000 grubs, ants, bugs, and critters and I think every one of them thinks he's steering that log. And that's me. I think I'm steering the log. So God humbles me through his word, through circumstances, and really through my spouse so that my heart and the seeds in my heart can bloom. So when you get humbled, recognize God's trying to make sure your heart is good. Are you with me? Amen? Amen. The second thing I want to share with you, the importance is you have to have an open heart, an open heart, because some of the dreams that are coming your way are way too big for the present state of affairs when it comes to your heart. Some of your hearts are way too small. There's just not enough room for God's seeds to bloom. And I mean this. If you stick a shark in an 80-gallon fish tank, I have fish tanks, I understand fish tanks. If you stick a shark in an 80-gallon aquarium, it will not grow to full, full what God has planned for that shark to be. They are limited by the tank. They release a hormone, and they recognize they cannot grow, and they'll stop growing. In some ways, your heart is the same way. It's self-limiting. God's seeds can't bloom in the size of your heart right now because it's too small. You should always leave room for God to show up in your life. If you only do what you know you can do, so what? Who cares? Isaiah 55, 8 through 9, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, says God, nor are my ways, <laughs> nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Now, church, this is not a proclamation of how far God is above you and how low you are down here. That, that is not what it is, how high he is and how low you are. This is an invitation for you to come up to where God is 
to open up your hearts and expand them because big dreams are coming your way. And you need to be ready for the dreams that God has for, for, your, for your marriage, for your family, for your church, for your jobs, for your life. And the best can still be to come. It doesn't matter how old you are. Abraham's an old man when the best thing ever happened to him happened. Noah's an old man. And you need to expand your heart and give yourself room for those dreams to come in. Because you see, the limit is not in the, in the potential of the seed. The limit is in the size of the flower pot. And some of your flower pots are way too small. Right? You can take an acorn that's supposed to be a 300-year-old oak tree that's huge, right? You can put it in a pot, and it may grow up to a certain size. It may get to a certain height, a certain, and it might be beautiful in that height, but it's not its full potential because it's in a pot. It's not in the ground. We need a bigger flower pot to grow bigger dreams. You may need a bigger heart to fathom bigger dreams that are coming your way. I'll give you an example from the Bible. Do any of these names ring a bell with you? And it's going to sound like we're at SeaWorld here at first. But do any of these names ring a bell with you? There's Shamua. That sounds like a whale, right? Shamua. Here she comes, Shamua. Whatever. I don't know. SeaWorld. Shamua, Shapat, Egal, Palti, Gadiel, Gadi, Amel, Sether, Nabu, Gruel. Do any of these names mean anything to anybody here in this room? Anybody know who they are? These are 10 people out of 12 people that God said, hey, there's a land I'm going to give you. It's called the promised land. I promise you you're going to have it. I want you to go check it out and come back and bring a report to the Israelites. These 10 people come back to the Israelites, and this is what they say. There's just no way. God must be mistaken. There's no, we cannot take the land. The cities are fortified. They have armies. They have big people. We're like little grasshoppers compared to them because that's what fear does. Makes everything seem bigger. And we just can't take it. I'm sorry. But two of the 12, and these names you have heard of, Joshua, Caleb, they come back and they say, hey, God promised us it's a land of milk and honey because they couldn't go down to H-E-B and get it. It was right there. And God promised us, let's go get it. Ten of them were wearing not contact lenses. They were wearing contract lenses. They were contracting and constricting God's plans for their life. And they, they minimized God and maximized giants. And when they looked through their contract lenses, their God was too weak and their God was too small, and the task was too difficult, and the giants were too big. And Joshua and Caleb said, we got a big God, let's go. So who are you more like? The ten names that we don't even know, or the two we do. So the reason I share this is because you should never build your dreams on the opinions of others. Always build your dreams on the promises of God. He knows better than they do. He made you. He put those seeds of greatness within you. They didn't. I'm so glad I didn't believe everything everyone said about me at high school. Trust me, they can't believe I'm a pastor. Some of you can't either. It's okay. <laughs> Let me ask you this way. Anybody here own a computer? 
How many of you own a computer at your house? If you're at home, you can type in computer. You own a computer? <laughs> it's so funny to me because my kids, my kids, you know, Zachary and Jacob, they got cell phones like at fourth grade. Fourth grade on, that was our rule. I don't know why. We just had fourth grade. That was when they got a cell phone. And Renee said, we got to keep track of them, cell phone. So my kids can't imagine a day that we actually had phones that were attached to a wall and had a cord and a rotary dial. You remember this? If you got one number wrong, you got to start all over. Where's the back arrow? There's no back arrow. And my kids, I tell my kids, I went to school. I went to undergraduate, and I went to SMU with no computer. I had a brother word processor. Fancy. At SMU, we had to rent we had to rent the computer in the dorm. There were two of them, and we rented them and signed up for a time. A computer. Steve Jobs, in 1976, along with his pal Steve Wozniak, were assembling circuit boards in Jobs' parents' house. Because my kids, Jacob and Zachary, they can build a computer. They, I'm like, this is, this is what I do. I go over to Best Buy and I go, what's the best one I can get for this amount of money? And they're like, well, over here it's got this processor. I'm like, look, I don't need, I don't need to know all that. How do I turn it on? That's me. My kids are like putting together, oh, Dad, you could build, I could build you a way better computer at Altex. Great. They understand all that. Steve Jobs was doing that sort of thing in his parents' garage in Los Altos, California, and his dream was to put a computer in the hands of everyday people. Now, here's where I'm going with this story. When he went, he went, Steve Jobs went to a demonstration at the Xerox Research Facility. You know Xerox? You've heard of that company? In 1979, he went to a, a seminar, and they showed him a graphical user interface. Now, I know you know what that means. I don't. And, they, and Steve Jobs saw that, and he said, ah, this could put a computer in everyone's hand. And he went to Xerox, and he said, hey, I can take this, what use technology that you have, and I can capitalize on it, and we can put a computer in everyone's hand, and everyone will have a Xerox computer. And you know what Xerox said? Xerox said, no, we're not interested in doing that. We just want to copy paper. We just want to have copy machines because their heart was too small. And we said, that's all we want to do is just copy things. And so Steve said, well, I guess I'll just make up something. Maybe you've heard of it. It's called Macintosh or Mac computer. Dream big. God comes to Moses. Moses is an old man. Moses is 80 years old working for his father-in-law. Doesn't have a dime. He's on the run. He's a fugitive. He killed a man. And God says to him, hey, I want you to take on the world's number one powerful man in the world, the Pharaoh, and the most powerful army, and I want you to do it. And I'm speaking to you through a burning bush. And Moses says, who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and I should bring the sons of Israel against Egypt? Have you ever asked that question when God has called you to do something? Who am I to do that? And, and God doesn't say, Moses, it's because of your talent. Moses, it's because of your, your greatness or your pedigree or education or how many likes on Instagram you have. He doesn't say any of that. He says, I'll be with you. That's why you can do it. I placed the seeds of greatness within you. That's why you were in Pharaoh's court when you were born. That's why you were rescued from a basket. I have planned this all out. 
Because in the end, it's not about who you are. It's about what God can do through you. And all that mattered was God would be with Moses. See, our big problem in life is we spend way too much time thinking about ourselves and far too little thinking about God. And that's the importance of coming to church because we come here to think about God and experience God. Amen? And we wonder, who am I? Who am I? We all ask that question. And we say, well, I'm not able. Well, we're not able, but God is more than able. And we can do anything that God calls us to do through the strength of Christ who gives us the power to do it. And we can become all that God has planned for us to become. And some of you are living in Death Valley, and I want to say you don't have to live there. There are seeds of greatness in your life. You've got seeds of greatness within you, and you need to start dreaming with God. You need to start dreaming with God. We're never meant to dream without God's dream. When we, when we dream without God's dream, when we do that, we give our dreams wings way too small for the places that God longs to take us. We're like a hummingbird trying to go cross country. Not going to work. Langston Hughes said it this way, hold fast to dreams, for if dreams die, life is a broken-winged bird that cannot fly. Let me close with this. Um, two weeks ago, I got asked to go see uh, a man who just got put on hospice care. Hospice care is usually something when you're getting ready to die. And this particular gentleman had uh, spent his life working uh, for the last good decade at a halfway house, helping people get back on their feet, which is a wonderful, wonderful thing to do. He lives in a tiny apartment, no bigger than this stage. It's actually smaller than this stage. And he was a smoker, and he has cancer. And the whole place reeked of cigarette smoke. And as soon as I walked in, I was like, I don't want to be here. Everything within me was like, run. Because I don't like to face death. I don't know. I mean, I face death a lot, but I don't like death. I sit down on the chair next to him. He's laying on the bed. His wife comes over, and she says this to me. Appreciate you coming. He thinks he's a no-good SOB that's headed right for hell. Can you tell him he's not? Can you pray with him so he doesn't go to hell? It's a strange way to get an introduction, isn't it? Nice to meet you, SOB. So I open up some scripture, and I talk about how God knew him before he was even born and how God loved him that much, and God will continue to love him in the next life as well. And we had some prayer time. But when he opened up his mouth, and he did open up his mouth, he said these words, I just don't think I've accomplished much. I don't think I've accomplished much. And I didn't think death would come so fast. And I was struck by his honesty. Because when you got Mr. Death knocking on your door, you ain't got time for no lies and illusions. Those all go out the window. Now, my my judgment, he had accomplished a lot. 
by my judgment, he had given his life away in helping others. But it's a sobering thing to lay on your deathbed and say, I don't think I've accomplished much. That's a sobering thing. And it was sobering for me to hear that. So why do I share this today? Am I just looking for sermon filler? No. I want to become everything that God has planned for me to be. Every seed that God has placed within me to be a great parent, to be a pastor, to be a teacher, a leader, a writer, I want to touch lives. I want to do those things. But how do I make sure I don't say that on my deathbed? How do I make sure that's not me talking to some young pastor one day about my death? And here's where you can stop that. Time travel. Now, when I say time travel, I mean travel ahead in time and see yourself on your deathbed. You should all do this. What have you done? What have you left undone? What seeds of greatness have not come to bloom? What death valley has stopped a seed of greatness within you? Now, time travel. Now, what do I mean by this? Write your obituary. I've already written mine. It's why I'm writing a book, because I put my obituary. I'm a published author. Renee says, what if no one publishes you? I said, I'm publishing it myself. I got to make sure I fill up my obituary. You know why? Because 90% of the time, if you write your goals down in obituary, I'm putting things in there that I haven't done yet. 90% of the time, people that write down their goals, more likely to accomplish them. By 90%, I've written it down. Time travel. Now, I'm not actually talking about traveling through time, although that would be pretty cool. I'm talking about traveling through in your mind, prayerfully imagining yourself on your deathbed. Now, this is what you do. You ask God, God, what do you want me to be doing in five years, 10 years, 15 years from now? What can I do with the time that you've given me? And the word retirement is not in the Bible. You can get refired, not retired. Envision the best version of yourself, the glorious you. What is the glorious you doing? So to help me do this, I got one of those, uh, I wanted to make it more real for me. So if you get on your phone, you can get on your phone and they have those aging apps. Have you seen these? Where you just age yourself, you take a picture of yourself and you type in how many years you, what you will look like, like your current picture and it will age your face. Oh, it's better than the dermatologist, trust me. It's very humbling. So I typed in 40 years. Now, don't show it yet. Don't show it yet. Don't show the picture. How many of you want to see what I look like in 40 years? Anyone? This is, you talk about humbling? Here's the picture of what I look like in 40 years. Go ahead, show, show the picture. There it is. I'm much skinnier. just fitting a little cremated. I don't want anyone gawking at me at the funeral. Oh, he looks great. I understand when people say that. Oh, the funeral director did a great job. He looks great. You know what I think? He looks dead. <laughs> Sorry, maybe I've been around it too much. That's me. Statistically, that's me in 24 years. 
If I make it to 91, that will definitely be me. Statistically, I have 24 years left. You're hurtling towards your death. Don't live in Death Valley. You don't have to live there. You can make sure your heart's right. And when you do, God will send the rain and the seeds of greatness will come. But make sure you get busy because that is coming. And you don't want to be on your deathbed going, I left these seeds of greatness within. I left these songs I never sang. I left a sermon I never wrote. I left a book I didn't, I didn't write. I left a word unsaid. Don't be that person. Because this is coming for all of us. Let's pray. God of grace, we give thanks for this time to come together. We just pray over every single person in this building, everyone watching online. Father, I thank you that you have great plans. You've called every single one from the foundation of the world. You've placed seeds in their hearts, knitting them together in the mother's womb. And now they can be everything you've made. So, Father, I pray in Jesus' name, as we move towards our future, that we'll enter with humble hearts and that our pride will not stand in the way of the work of your spirit. And, Father, we pray that our hearts will be open and able to expand and fathom all the great and beautiful, wonderful dreams that you have in store for us. And I would just ask that I'd speak a blessing over every single one of us within the reach of my voice. I pray for a blessing over. I thank you for the expansion of everyone's heart and the breakthroughs and the miracles that can take place because you can take any grave and turn it into a garden. You can take Death Valley and make it into a flower valley. I pray this. You can take a dead man and roll away the stone and bring him to life. This is your power, God. So we pray this in Jesus' mighty name as we consider what Jesus did on the night that he gave himself up for us. He took bread, he broke that bread and gave it to the disciples and said, take and eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And we remember that Jesus was broken for our sinful selves, for our flawed selves, so that we might be made whole. And when the supper was over again, he took the cup, he returned thanks to you, and he poured out that cup, and it was the cup of forgiveness of new life, of grace and mercy. And he said, take and drink, for this is my blood poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. And we pray, Lord, that this would be the rain upon the seeds of our soul and bring them to life. And we pray all these things in the name of Christ who taught us as we say now together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts. We forgive our debtors and lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thy kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now we're going to serve communion in two different ways here today. Uh, if you would like to come up the old school way before COVID and take the bread and dip it in the cup, you're welcome to do that. We also have a basket here and the elders will have this. So in fact, the elders can come on down and inside here is a cup you just peel off the very top that the wafer is and then there's a cup there if you'd like to hold that so Julie will have that
I'm going to stand in the center. So I invite you to come forward and receive the body of Christ and the blood of Christ as you are led by the Spirit.